Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Today, Dan Abate. So in the pre-show, I always ask my guests, what do you do? How do I introduce yourself? Dan just went and goes, I don't know. Here's all the stuff that I do. So Dan, (laughs) the best person to introduce yourself is yourself. So Dan, what is it? Who are you? What do you do? Awesome. Hey, Martin. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, my name is Dan, as you said. Um, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Um, I started uh, at 14, uh, working in my dad's manufacturing company up through, like, I can, we'll get into all the stories from there. But um, at this point, I'm mostly an investor advisor. Uh, at this point, I'm involved in 16, 17 different companies on a weekly basis that I'm advising or invested, that I'm invested in. Um, and we're just, I'm always just having fun. Um, helping other entrepreneurs find their way and find their journey and, and maybe just kind of pay back all the good stuff that was done, you know, for me uh, to the next generation. Fabulous. Thank you. Dan has got a really cool, I I don't know a lot of people uh, that have this really interesting fact. So Dan, how about you let it loose? So uh, I was homeschooled from fifth grade until high through high school. Yeah. I went to college at 15, moved into the dorms at 15. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, damn! <laughs> was, was graduated uh, just a few years later uh, with my first degree. And then I've been kind of in school and academia ever since. And then from this point today, I still have a 20-year plan that includes multiple master's degrees uh, and a couple PhDs over the next, like I said, 20 years because I've been in academia my whole life. Not as an academic, per se, but mm-hmm. just as someone who's from a place of love of learning and then sharing that learning anytime I get a chance, whether in the academic setting or in the real world, or, you know, I'm just, I'm a... I'm modern a philosopher. Modern wandering, philosopher. Is, right. <laughs> philosopher. I'm a wandering philosopher. I learn where I can and I meet and I learn from other people. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I love to dive down deep. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that there's... Uh, the Freemasons out there, there's uh, Stoicism that's out there. There's a lot of philosophies out there that have, we've lost touch with a lot of things that it's important to understand, you know, people will laugh at me when I go, you know, it is true to be or not to be is, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with that. Oh, you're just being ridiculous. And it is true. Like, what is being? How does it work? How do I live my life according to that motto? Anyways, the thing that I find interesting about that is that we could probably go on this subject forever. <laughs> is that um, is that philosophy as a subject has been around for as long as humans have been yeah. trying to write stuff down, right? Um, and it's all true from thousands of years ago. Yes. You can read it, and it applies today because it's still true and it's been true. You know, and we might argue over some of the nuances, but for the most part, the human experience is still the same human experience from five thousand years ago. And it's going to be the same 5,000 years later, you know, the details change, but it's all still there. So that's why it's so important to be aware of 
how you live your life and what direction you're going because you make those choices yourself. At the end of the day, it all comes from inside. It's Simple choice. Absolutely. So what do you mean that way back when in the caveman bonking people on the head is it was not good? So bonking people on the head today is still not good. <laughs> somebody, somebody back when they were bonking someone on the head was questioning, well, why am I bonking this person on the head? Do I really want to be bonking? Is this my true path? <laughs> oh, my goodness. We can go on for purpose. A lot of people, they say, oh, I need to find my purpose and all the good stuff. You, just be a good human being. Just start with that. Just start yeah. with that. Be happy. Agreed. So um, with that being said, let's uh, in the pre-show, we discussed what the title of the show would be today. I think it is absolutely fabulous. And I think we're going to have to cap it because, I mean, we can go on for hours on this one. So, uh, so Dan, what is the title of the show? The title of our show is Finding Your Path, How to Listen to Yourself. So please. Tell us your path. Let's go dive down deep in who, Dan, back in, now you're a young man, so back in 1980, 1970. I was born in 1980. Oh, nice. I'm right on the money. Yeah, I'm an old millennial, I guess you would say, or a young Gen Xer. Yeah. So right in the middle. So I didn't belong in either group, maybe. All right. So, yeah. So, I mean, if we, if we just want to like kind of jump into the story, um, my, my path has always been about, um, being, doing it different. Okay. Even if like I was, I, 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 as, even as a kid, um, I always had kind of a struggle in the, the irony of it is, is I struggled a lot in school, not because it wasn't like it, the reason I struggled was because it didn't work for me. The format yeah. Didn't. yeah. Um, I didn't like to sit in a desk and be taught these things in this way that just didn't work for me. I didn't enjoy it. Like, yeah. and I was bored. And then I, when I'm bored, I, and I, you know, I have a Trouble. Tendency, oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> nothing big, just kind of mischievous sort of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but anyway, so, so pre-K kindergarten and all that stuff at the beginning. And then around fifth grade time to like, we were like, okay, let's try homeschooling, which we don't even to this day, my family doesn't even know how they got that idea of where they even heard about. <laughs> Back in that time, this yeah. was like 90, 90-ish, I guess, 89, yeah. 90, something like that. It really wasn't a mainstream thing. There was like people did it for religious reasons and then mm. other like other people did it for other reasons, I guess. But we, we did it for other reasons. We just did it like, hey, let's try it. Um, it worked really well for me. Um, I plugged along, had fun, um, learned about computers at that point. Like that was kind of really when I dove into my computer kind mm-hmm. of journey. And I do have a lot of coding technology background i um you know i i I, like i said i like i mentioned earlier uh by the time i was 14 i was working in my dad's office sitting next to his cfo because that was the safest place for me that i wasn't gonna use it he had a big manufacturing company (laughs) so it's like (laughs) don't go sticking your hand in the processing (laughs) machine okay so sit by the finance guy so i i sat with the finance guy so i learned about um you know, how finance works, which was in retrospect, like a phenomenal thing to have that experience at such a young age. Um, they were doing a lot of acquisitions at the time. So I was learning about what it meant to acquire a company and how you consolidate the company, how you kind of evaluate the income statement and balance sheet and, and what the merged companies would look like. So very early, these are the things I'm experiencing. Um, and I'm loving it, right? Like, it's mm. like, like, I'm learning all this stuff. And um then, like when I was in college, uh, while I was in college, I started a website. 
um, which was focused on, uh, it was called Advanced Mnemonics. And Advanced Mnemonics was essentially an aggregator of traffic, which I sold to Wall Street funded companies. So it, it, remember, this is like <laughs> the middle 90s now. Mid-90s, yeah. Mid-90s, yeah. right? So all the wallstreet.com stuff is going crazy. People are spending money on everything that just has .com in the title. And so all those people had to justify their big paydays, right? That they got all this money. Yeah. And so they would, the only thing that everyone was held accountable to was traffic, was hits. Like, did you get yeah. more hits than you did, quote unquote hits, that's what it was called. Yeah. Hits than you did uh, last week. So I was an aggregator of traffic and I would just sell traffic to these people. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I was bought out by one of those people. Uh, about six months before the dot com crash, <laughs> so and then the guy who bought the company, that bought hallelujah, it, yeah, right, total luck, total luck. So that's part of my journey. You have to, you have to have a little luck, right? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Right, so I had a little bit of luck there. Um, at that point, my dad was just closing up his business because after years of ch- of a challenging decade, basically, of trying to acquire because everything in his industry, not everything, but lots was moving to China at that time gotcha. to all the American manufacturers. Like, so I got to experience that at a young age, which was not positive. Ex- I mean, it was a positive experience in retrospect because I learned and I saw yeah, a learning experience, but it wasn't fun. It, it wasn't, wasn't fun. fun. Right. I mean, it's at 17 years old. Um, at 17 years old, I was still helping my, you know, in and out of my dad's place throughout that whole time. And I just kind of watched the deterioration of you know, the company from a revenue perspective, which of course in manufacturing, you have a lot of overhead mm-hmm. hard to keep it going. Um, and so I saw kind of all that. I saw the morale start to go down. I saw my dad's own like internal struggles with the whole thing, obviously. Um, I even, I, there were times where I was on the phone with vendors oh, like, yeah. who were like, Hey, you haven't paid us in 120 days. When are you going to pay us? Ooh. And there's like, we don't know. So I, I got that whole experience. So yeah. I've had the good, I've had the really high and the really low of entrepreneurship kind of like all in the same few year period as um, a teenager too, not as an adult, as a teenager. As a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. When you're the most influential. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's funny that you bring that up when you're, yes, when you're being influenced by what you're experiencing at that time, and it's kind of like setting your adult perspective, right? Correct. So my entrepreneurial career after that, um, was very, um, jaded. Maybe that's a good word. Because mm-hmm. we're talking about finding your path and going mm-hmm. down a different way you go. My my path was there was a little, little I didn't know it at the time, but I know it in retrospect now. Um, because I had the experience of a really good win, and then also watching some really not so fun stuff in the manufacturing place in my dad's place. Um, once I sold that, my dad closed his place. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't need to do anything in particular at that exact moment because I had a little bit of money. So I thought, well, I'm going to go back to my academics. And I did math and physics at the University of New Mexico um, just for the fun of it. Like, I'll do this for a couple of years. Um, started doing that. <laughs> and you pick, I just want to do something fun. Let me pick math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we were, oh, by the way, I, I'm from Chicago. That's where all this was happening. I, I grew okay. up in Chicago. So, that, so so moving to New Mexico was kind of cool and fun and different. So um, moved to New Mexico, math and physics, just doing that for a while, a um, couple of years of that. And then um, got back into the kind of the entrepreneurial uh, world with the idea that I'm going to acquire companies and apply my technology and automation kind of experience mm. 
to them to improve their, um, to optimize their processes, improve cash flow, and then sell at a higher multiple, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the same, even if it's the same multiple, higher cash flow with applied to the same multiple is more value. Mm-hmm. Go for it. That was the model, right? So I did that. Um, started it in New Mexico, but actually ended up back in Chicago doing that from basically 2003-ish through 2013. I did it eight times, um, acquired companies, and then put myself in charge uh, as CEO, made all the changes, and then immediately tried to sell them. So for the most part, it was kind of one company at a time, but mostly mm-hmm. um, sometimes there was some overlap. And by 2013 now, you have to remember, you know, it's 10 years. So at that point, I got married. I had a kid. Um, you know, I'd been through mostly good. Six mm-hmm. of the eight were pro- like quite profitable deals. Um, one of them was kind of a break even. and One of them was a stinker. So on average, did pretty well yeah, in that yeah. 10-year period. Six um, out of eight. That's a good, yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah. That's good odds. So um, 2013, uh, now you have to remember, when you do that kind of work, what I was doing, you're, this is where the jaded, the jaded part comes in, right? You're not the most likable person in, on the planet, <laughs> right? So, yeah, that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> right? So like, now these are things that had to be fixed, right? Yeah, of so course. I, you know, to this day, I still, and I still justify it that way, like the companies needed to do this in order to be competitive and to grow and be better. But in the process, you you shake the status quo again. I've never been person for like, hey, it has to be done this way because it's always been done this way. Let's change it. Let's make it better. And that's a hard role to play over and over and over again, especially when people are potentially losing their jobs or just the whole change management is always difficult as we all That do. is, you know, that's where a lot of people say, oh, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. People, you know, people are not first. You don't put profit first. You say, okay, well... I always give the analogy of a ship. So if you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and if you don't take care of that boat, then you're going to sink. And there's not going to be one person left on that boat who's going to survive. A company is no different. It provides a life support system. So the, the company is the boat that gets you from one place to another, and there's a whole bunch of people on it. Your number one priority is to take care of that boat. Now, you treat people with kindness and dignity and respect, and that's key of creating a circle of safety. Uh, it is never, you know, profit over people. It's to say, well, the ship's rinky-dink. You know, you get, there's got a, a, whole, a leak here. It's got this. You got to fix the mass. You got to do this. You got you to work hard to get that. And if somebody is not critical to that, to which a decision was made prior to your arrival, then that hard conversation it needs to be had, and it's not your decision that was initially made. Is that that person who hired you in the first place did not understand the economics of prosperity? That's right. Because exactly. everybody aims to be prosperous, right? So you go profit plus sustainability equals prosperity. Everybody wants to be prosperous. You work Monday to Friday so that you can have Saturday Sunday off. You know you work. 200 year, uh, days out of year so that you can have three weeks off in holidays, right? So a lot of people don't, that, that's the philosopher in me, I guess, thinks about right. the, the whole bigger item. So sorry for interrupting, but I no, think that no, was a I, very valuable lesson for people to, to hear yeah. that. Like it's, it, you're not an asshole on purpose. 
Right. He's just saying, that's all my story. No, but it's a perspective thing, right? It's, it's, you're totally right in what you're saying. So, so the, 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 the circumstances that led up to me acquiring that company and making the changes that I did, like you said, happened well before I even knew the company existed. Mm-hmm. And now the change is happening. And of course, how you deal with um, that as an individual person, whether you're an employee or a management person or like wherever you are in the organization, mm-hmm. um, is, is some, some people are better at handling it than others, mm-hmm. right? And even if, it, even if it isn't a risk to their job, but just the fact that something has changed and they have mm-hmm. to behave in a different way. And of course, as we all know, um, culture plays a big role, right? Mm-hmm. Like certain companies you'd go into had a more flexible and kind of better culture to do that with than another mm-hmm. culture, right? When you go into the next company. So I, I did all that and I learned all that and I experienced all that. But for the most part, it was a struggle for me because I didn't, um, all I knew was watching my dad's manufacturing company, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my tech company, which was kind of like a antithesis sort of situation. But for whatever reason, that when I, when I molded myself in those teenage years, as you mm-hmm. pointed out and described, I really attached my vision, not my vision, my um, expectations mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship on that hard struggle that I saw in my dad's time mm-hmm. versus the tech thing. It's interesting because I had both next to each other, mm-hmm. but for some reason I stayed focused on this one. So I went into every deal assuming it was going to be painful. And wouldn't you know, a lot of times it was, even when it was successful, mm. it was still a painful process for me. So in 2013, uh, after the last one, um, I had a bunch of real estate in Chicago as well. And so I'm like, and I said to my wife, I'm like, why are we in Chicago? We don't go to an office. We, mm-hmm. we, we, we've, we've always mostly worked. Um, I mean, whenever I wasn't going to a business for mm-hmm. some reason, um, we were in our house. Our house was always our, our office at some point mm-hmm. in, the, in the equation. So I said, why are we in Chicago? All we have is this real estate. Let's go to Florida. So 2013, what am I going to do next? Because I don't want to continue to do it the way I'm doing it. How do I do it a different way? Um, and I decided, um, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do something for the first time that I had not done in my whole career up to that point. And that was listen to other people. <laughs> oh, right. So my, it's interesting because my, in my kind of, uh, kind of academic world, I, I was always very open to listening yeah. to people and learning from others and people who've studied and done these different things. But in my entrepreneur world, I was very much like, um, I know it. I can, yeah. and, and, I, and I'm successful because I can work harder than everybody else. I can, um, you know, just I can do whatever needs to be done to make it happen. And that was my approach. Mm-hmm. And I don't need anybody else to tell me to give me any clues, right? I'm I can do everything. Although by after doing that for so many years, I was tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew that, that did I didn't like that anymore. Like maybe yeah, yeah, there's right. way. And so same thing like I did when I went to University of New Mexico. Um I went to um Florida, here in Florida. And I moved and I started meeting every entrepreneur that I could. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm, South Florida is fantastic from an entrepreneurial perspective because we're like a big melting pot of people. We have yeah. Europe, we have people from South America, we have every state, you know, people come here. And now, especially now more than ever, we've got everybody here as well. So um, it was a great 
choice and uh, you know to to come down here and i and i within a couple of months of being here you know i'd met you know people about where i was at i met people who are hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in terms of their net worth or their businesses that they've run or whatever it is so i got a great perspective um and then a couple of years of that uh kind of kind of retooled my my structure to kind of focus on all right i need to remove myself from the actual operations cuz i mm-hmm. i quickly identified that I don't want to be in the operations anymore. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I can't put myself into the day-to-day immediately like I always did. So how do I do that? Well, one idea was, I'm gonna, now I'm going to talk about some of my other kind of failures. That's, that's all right. That's all right. I mean, it's still on, the, on, on our title, right? So uh, yeah. finding your path, how to listen to yourself, right? So yes. I, it's, it's culminating. I can, I can feel it. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Trust me, we're getting to this exact to the exact point. So, um, so anyway, I, uh, you know, okay, cool. So I identified I want to remove myself yeah. from that day to day operation, but I still want to have some sort of similar structure because the structure worked well and I made money and mm-hmm. I liked it. I was excited, like certain aspects I was really excited about. So um, I started uh, essentially what was a um, technology company, but the focus was instead of implementing the automation. Um, and technology into a company that I acquired, I would just make the investment into other people's companies and then take back my value out of mm-hmm. the um, value that we created by making them more efficient. That was the model. Um, it didn't work so well because after a couple of deals, I realized that when I owned the company and I implemented these processes, because remember how we said change mm-hmm. management and all that sucks? Mm-hmm. It's even, it sucks even more when you don't have any power. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You have no power. Like this other man. side thing. So um, we tried that a couple of times, had a little bit of success, but obviously was not going to be the scaled approach that I was looking for. So kind of push that aside um, in the short. So that was a couple of year effort um, and a couple hundred or more, I don't know how much, I don't know, three, $400,000 in cost on that yeah, little yeah. experiment. Um, so I, a- just let's pause for a sec. Cause there's, there's a huge lesson here. Cause I think Dan, You've said that I pushed that aside, right? Yes. So a lot of people will not give up. They go, oh, a little bit more, a little bit yes. more. And that's the curse of some of these entrepreneurs that we have. We go, I can do more work. Let me throw more work at it. Let me see if I put more hours into this. Oh, let me put in an extra 50000 And then all of a sudden, you're $1.2 million. You're working 18 hours a day. You don't see your wife. You don't see your kids. You're going, okay, it's too late. So you have to put that line in the sand that says, if I hit, if I've invested $300,000 into this and have not seen this return, or if I exceed an, uh, you know, uh, this amount of hours per week, I'm pulling the plug. And so many entrepreneurs are afraid of doing that. That's correct. That's They're just, correct. But that's, you're, go and ahead. it's even worse. It's even worse. I think it's, it's not getting better, that little scenario you just described. Because now over the last, let's say, five years or so, entrepreneurship has kind of become a buzzword and kind of yes, regular culture. Has. And as such, regular culture has presented this idea of this, like, well, you just grind it out and you oh. work and you work. And it doesn't really make uh. a lot of sense because if you look at the research, the research shows that the, like, the, number one, um, the number one contributing factor to success of a company is timing. Correct. It's not work. It's not people. It's not how much money you have. It's literally timing. So if you're just not timed right, like if your market product market fit is not there at the time that you're doing it, 
you're kind of doomed to fail. Like you can mm-hmm. maybe work it long enough that maybe that eventually that timing starts yeah. to align, possibly. Or you might be on the backside of it and you might just you'll just be grinding forever and you're not gonna get anywhere. So um my recommendation on that is, and I and I got this from Jeff Hoffman, um, who is the founder of Priceline, um, a, among other many successful ventures. Um, I asked him once, I said, how do you know when to quit? And because he's telling me all his mm, great yeah, right? yeah. I said, okay, that's great. But I'm sure you had some that didn't work. How did you know when to quit? And he said, when you're out of ideas. Oh. So like, if you're out of like, if you feel like, oh, I got another idea. Yeah, no problem. And the ideas are coming easily easy yeah, yeah, yeah. to try. But if you get to that point where you're just, you're like out of ideas and you're just grinding, trying to like, that's when you quit. And so I, I took that really, um, yeah, I took that and I internalized that a lot of like, yeah, if it's, I'm not going to grind. Like, that's what I used to do is grind it out. Like just like, oh, make, you know? for me, the social media, especially on LinkedIn, some of these posts, they go, oh yeah, you know, just hard work. Don't make decisions. Don't think about it. Don't, you know, don't kill yourself and just work hard. You know, that's what entrepreneurs do. Just no, no, no. I mean, I, we know EO uh, entrepreneur organization. We've both worked then with a lot of entrepreneurs. And uh, for those who are watching, I'm just going to go and do something. It says, Oh, shiny thing. Oh, shiny thing. Oh, EOS. Oh, scaling up. Oh, (laughs) you know, Uh, don't get me wrong. I love Gino. I like, I love both of those systems. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shooting them down far from it. They're just, what's the next thing? Oh, I'm a learner. I want to learn more. I want to devour this. I don't, they're not intentional in their activities and, or their learning. They're just consuming to consume, which is not correct. And I think that you're, approach of understanding your philosophy where do you sit what and you're very specific you said well let's go math and physics i'm sure that there was a thought process of reason why you chose that you just i don't think that you just said oh i'm just going to do math and physics i think that there was a, a yeah, thought process well, if behind know, it if you want to know the why and, and this maybe <laughs> going back to like a simon Sinek sort of thing why yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah like what was my personal why with that particular example because that stuff was intellectually interesting to me and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think that's a good enough why. Like, I agree. I think a lot of times, especially in entrepreneurship, um, sometimes we have to have like this deeper reasoning for things. And honestly, and, I, and even as, a, as just human beings, I, I believe that human beings need to focus on... Um, what works for them and what makes them happy and what mm-hmm. makes them like engaged and what, what makes them want to get up in the morning. Like you heard yeah. that phrase a million times, but like what makes you want to get up in the morning and not like, I want to save the world. Not like mm-hmm. a, not like a 50 year thing, but each day, what's going to get you up in the morning. Cause sometimes the, cause I think that's the fallacy. We hear this. Um, what's going to get you up in the morning? Well, it's because I'm going to save the world 15 years from now. Okay. But now that now you're stuck in that problem, if you've gone down the wrong path, you you it's going to take you 15 years to realize you went down the wrong path, <laughs> right? Because you said it too like it's too far. Like it's okay to have that, and you should have those 15 year things, but you also have to know each day what gets you up in the morning, like yeah. what makes you feel happy each day, and what makes you feel content each day. Not doesn't have to be easy, doesn't have to be like stress free, but you need to be content, and you have to feel the future 
while still being content in your present. Oh, right? there's there's so many people out there. Like Ryan McKenzie is is uh, one of the co-founders of True Earth. It's the little um, tabs. So instead of the detergent, it's a little uh, piece of kind of paper. So instead of using the plastic, so he was just sitting as kids and for the listeners, listen to Ryan's episode here. It's pretty cool. And he's like, I didn't, you know, I saw an opportunity and he said, kind of like, here's, you know, we're going to pitch it. And if we do this, he was really good at understanding D2C and online. So he's like, but now he's like going, holy crap. You know, we have through this little thought process that we had, which was very simple, you know, I don't want my kids to live in plastic. It's not like, it's not ginormous. He just doesn't, he didn't say, well, I want to save the entire planet. But he realized after a year of being in business, I can't remember the official number, but if you stack, you know, regular kind of detergent components or the the jugs themselves, it went to from the earth to the moon and back like 16 times. Like that's, that's a lot of detergent bins, right? So then, you know, Felix from Chop Value he was eating at, I can't remember, it was, a, it was an Asian restaurant with chopsticks. He's like, oh, he's an engineer. So he's like, now he recycles, he gets all these chopsticks from people that are there and he makes tables and he makes, you know, woodwork and block. But he didn't say, hmm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. To your point that the timing, oh, wait, here's a very, I don't want to use the word fickle because it's not fickle, but a, a light idea. Right. It's not an in-depth. Oh, you know, I'm very going to be very specific about it. You know, people about Steve Jobs and the iPad, he was looking at his hand. He said, we need to use this as a tool. And that was the foundation of a lot of touch screens and all that good stuff. So anyways, sorry, I I thought it was a good learning experience to say, hey, that's that's really key. What you're saying, Dan, about not having to dive down deep and just what makes you happy. Just think about that. Yeah. Start there. Start there because it's really going to be a combination of all these other external forces that are going to determine your success or failure. So you might as well enjoy the process along the way. And honestly, I think you're more more likely to be successful if you're in your like uh, what, what do they call it? I think it's in the where do they call it in um, the Big Leap. There's a book called Big Leap by Gay Hendricks that, that talks about um, your zone of excellence versus your zone of genius. And like zone of excellence are the things that you're good at and like you can do really well. That's where I was, you know, with those eight companies, but your zone of genius is like really where you're just like doing what you're supposed to be doing. You enjoy it. It's coming naturally. It's easy. It's not a struggle, you know, all that. A lot of people stay very focused on their zone of excellence and realistically, like the best parts of life come out of your zones of genius and the best production the best output comes from that place and so discovering what that zone of genius is is super important because if you're a you know if you're a doing if you're an entrepreneur uh, this is another thing that i've noticed over the years entrepreneurship is never about what you think it's about (laughs) we introduce ourselves and we tell people about what our company does Mm -hmm. you know we say my company we change oil in cars like Mm -hmm. we have an oil change place well, is your job really the changing of the oil or is it how efficiently you can acquire customers to come in and get their oil changed? Mm-hmm. Like that, going back to the theory of constraints kind of idea. Mm-hmm. You're changing the oil is the easy part. Like yeah. Anybody can do that. 
the person who wins is the person who can most efficiently get the people in to get the oil changed. Correct. That's the constraint. That's your job as the CEO is to focus on that point and all of your attention consistently on that element or whatever the element is in yeah. your particular business. So, so if you introduce yourself to somebody, you should not say what your company does. You should say what your company's constraint is because oh, that's, that's really one. what you manage. That is beautiful. That is a huge learning. Yeah, that's what you manage. You manage your constraint and that's your job at the highest level in the whole company. Focus on the constraint because um, the rest of it, anyone could do. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so I, I, so yeah. I, I learned all that stuff. Right? Like, so I, I kind of went down that path of, um, of trying that with the technology company. Then we started like a micro PE company, which we kind of like kind of as all of the um, cryptocurrency and like um, tokenization of securities was kind of like moving along in 2017, 2018, we did an SEC approved um, token offering to do like a micro private equity group where we were going to buy companies and put CEOs in place, do all that. And we did do that. We have, we did that somewhat successfully, but again, not scalable. Like, like, and I, and I looked at it and I said to myself, why do I keep finding myself in this exact same position? Because even going back to my early days of my career, I kept thinking of the constraint, for example, Mm -hmm. I kept envisioning the company and the, the constraint being essentially the sales process, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not a, like I'm not a sales. I don't like I don't enjoy cold calling. I, don't, I really don't mm-hmm. enjoy trying to convince anyone of anything. Mm-hmm. And I know that if sales are right, you don't have to do that. But the sales process was always stressful for me, and I didn't like it. And I always identified it as the thing I will always have to do, and no matter what mm-hmm. situation. Um. So in twenty, now we're getting really. Right up to the date. We're so getting 20, to the call. Da, 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 there, here da, it goes. Yeah, 2019. Da, 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 right? like fall of 2019. <laughs> Y'all know it's coming, right? <laughs> so fall of 2019, I did another kind of a self-evaluation, which I highly recommend to everyone. Yes. Because if you, you do need to stop and really do a kind of a self-reflection kind of thing and, 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 and really decide what's important to you, what are the things that you believe about the world that aren't true? Right, because 90% of the stuff that we're believing are probably not true. Like, we just made it up. Just believe something else. So, like, my my biggest example of believe something else was I said, I'm not going to believe that that I have to worry about sales anymore, making sales. Yeah, I just decided to stop believing that. Like, I believe that forever. And I'm just going to stop believing that. I'm just going to not think about that at all. And I'm going to focus on the, the part of the world that I like the best. And I said, well, what is that? And I said, and all I said was, um, you know, I actually very much enjoy meeting people like mm-hmm. we are right now, having these kind of philosophical dialogues. Let me start there. So um, in about the fall of 2019, um, I started. Uh, doing walk and talks, which I don't know if I invented that or if my, my version of a walk and talk. Anyway, my version I invented. My version of a walk and talk is um, we meet at eight o'clock at some specified place, and we walk and we talk. Yeah. And the and you wear comfortable clothes. You're not trying to impress anyone. You're not trying to um, you're not trying to get anything from the other person. 
Yeah. And um, in politics and religion is okay. Okay. Because if we can't, of course, talk about something, then how are we interacting as people? If there's some sort of like thing that we can't just agree, like, oh, okay, that's what you think. Okay, that's what I think. Oh, cool. Okay, I didn't think of it that way. Like, that's the conversation I want to have. I want to pause right there because I think what you're saying as a philosopher is critical. Too far have we gone to saying it's taboo. It's taboo to say, I love you guys. What's wrong with that? Just because you say you love him doesn't mean there's a sexual connotation attached to that. Right. Right, I mean, there's six different types of love. You don't love your dog the same way you love your wife. Well, hopefully not. Uh, (laughs) There's it's okay. Like democracy was built on discussion on different views. Right. Yeah. I do not like Brussels sprouts. I don't. I really don't. My (laughs) wife loves them. I still love her. Like there's just this, 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 uh, fear of conflict or they feel that because we disagree there's a conflict it's okay to have a different mindset it's okay to be for a different political party or you don't ask if you're a democrat or republican of course it defines you as a human being right right? i don't judge if i and i use this analogy if i go how y'all doing right then all of these biases come in oh martin's from the south Okay, so if he's from the South, he likes fried chicken. He likes this. He likes that. If I talk from, if I talk fast talking from New York, I like pizza. I like this. I like that. It's, yes, they're fundamental cultural behaviors that it's okay you grew up in that area. It's okay to recognize people for their differences. Yeah. I know. Yep. I, I, sorry. I, I'll get uh, off my no, soapbox. I, I, I think I it's agree important. And I want to comment on the same thing. I think as a society, we have very much regressed into this like childlike black and white perspective on things right right like why are we why are we so um it's either you're either all good or you're either with us or against us why can't it just be that this person has an opinion that person has an opinion and you know what if you think those two people are exactly the same i bet you if you talk to both of them you'll find out they're actually quite different Mm -hmm. and in a way they're also quite the same and the same as you right so it's like things are way more nuanced and I think that we would do ourselves a much better favor as a society if we would train ourselves to be aware of the nuances of individuals and people uh, and, and groups of people instead of trying to just assume everyone's all the same because you're in oh, a particular category, oh, right? Like, I, oh, hail to no, that, brother. Hail to that. There's douchebags and idiots come in all size, shapes, form, <laughs> sex, right. color. Their stupidity is exactly. the least racist of all. <laughs> <laughs> right. You have, yeah. And you have to look at each person individually. Like that's just the way that it is. Like, you uh, know, yeah, yeah. and I'm when both. I'm driving, everybody else is stupid, but I'm the stupid right. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're the only one who can drive well. Right. I, I'm like, I'm like the best driver there ever was. Um, so yeah, so I started doing these walk and talks with this idea in mind that I wanted to be able to explore this with different people. That's so um, sweet. Yeah, and that was it. That was that was my new business model, which was completely the opposite of how I would normally approach a business model because I normally would figure it all out, get a spreadsheet out, plan it. Yeah. But I said, this is my new business model. I'm gonna do walk and talks and see what happens. And I and I the way that I get people to walk and talk with me is I just meet them somewhere and I find them interesting. I'll offer to do a walk and talk. And wouldn't you know? that the fourth walk and talk I did, again, no expectation of anything turning into anything, 
It turned out that the guy was a um, entrepreneur who had about $100 million in hotel real estate. And, um, and then, this is before COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he still does. Don't get me wrong. Still yeah. does, but there's been struggles. Um, $100 million in um, hotel real estate. And we, you know, we're just talking about stuff and I'm sharing openly and I, we start talking about business stuff and then we move on to something else. And at the end of the conversation, he says, how would I get you to help me do that stuff that we talked about? I really liked what you said back there. How, how would, how would you help me? And I said, I, I I don't know. I didn't really think about that. I like, I didn't immediately Mm -hmm. jump into, oh, well, here's my price and here's how this is going to work. I just said, you know, I don't really know. I'd love to help you. So why don't you just tell me, tell me what it's worth to you if I can get you to, if we can do the thing that we said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. So he came back, you know, a few um, days later and he's like, he says, I, he's like, I can pay $8,000 a month for that. And I was like, okay. And honestly, that, that project <laughs> took me a few hours a week probably yeah. for, for, a, for an, about a six month, uh, well, the, well the, it was six months to get into COVID. Mm. And then we had another <laughs> six months or more of oh, other yeah, stuff we were dealing yeah, yeah. with. But my point is I didn't put any effort into any of that in terms of setting it up. Of course, I put a lot of effort into trying to make the outcome that I wanted yeah. for the, to, to provide value because that's number one. How do you produce the most value? Um, and so, um, so it just kind of snowballed from there. And then, of course, COVID came. Oh, and then yeah. COVID offered, like, gave me all sorts of new opportunities with this perspective because all my whole perspective was help entrepreneurs as if they were my businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I had lots of people who I could help because people, a lot of people needed help. They needed perspective. Mm-hmm. They needed investment. They needed whatever they needed at that particular mm-hmm. time. And so, um, yeah, so 2020 was a crazy year. And it was a good year financially and relationship wise. And I helped people through things. And, and, um, and so that's what I do now. I, I, I'm a wandering philosopher, a wandering Kung Fu master, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I, and I help people where I can. It's like, I, I think of those old movies, like, uh, like Kung Fu, that one with David Carradine, yeah. or even like a more modern kind of version of that is um, Burn Notice, the one with the uh, where he's like a burned spy who just kind of helps people with different things. I've never um, seen that one. But what's that title of the movie? Burn, Notice? Burn Notice. Yeah, it's a, okay. it's a TV series. It's just like a silly, okay. it's like based in Miami. It's one of the reasons we moved to Florida. Like, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it's a dumb show, but it was, it's, it's funny. Um, but the point is, is that those shows are all about like someone who just like listens to people's problems and then tries to help them through some adventure, right? Uh-huh. So that's how the way I look at every single interaction that I have from this point forward from that point forward was like, what does this adventure look like? And can I provide value? And there are times where people say, Hey, I need help with this. And I say, I don't know how to help with that here. Like maybe I can pass you off to someone else who does. Mm. I don't know. So, um, so yeah, so that's, so, so how I got to that was I listened to myself to tie to our title. I listened to myself. I, I, I took the thing that I hated and just to, and like made it go away. Like you know, that might not be the solution for everyone. If you hate paying your bills, that <laughs> may not be the best. But maybe it would be. So that's a belief, right? I, belief I, I think money. there's different ways you can. If you hate paying your bills, just make sure there's money in the bank account and let somebody else pay your bills, right? I, Whatever it is, exactly, yeah. exactly. There's always a different approach. That's an interesting point too. If you did let someone else pay your bills for you, how much energy do you waste? In terms, this is something that I always see entrepreneurs will spend our time doing those $20 an hour jobs oh. 
for like 10 hours a week <laughs> when they could be out doing whatever it is for 200, 500, a thousand dollars, whatever plus hour. Um, so, and, and then not to mention the other kind of less financial part of that is the psychological toll that the thing takes on you, which then has an opportunity cost associated with well. If your brain is not in the game or you keep finding yourself distracted or mm -hmm. anxiety around something, that's sucking the energy out of you in a non-productive way. So if you can eliminate that or push yourself in a different direction, um, it's worth whatever it takes to get there, you know? Oh, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you a story about a client of mine who... So most people hire Urgio as for us, right? So we go into businesses. And so often I'm similar to you. We've, we don't do consultancy practice. We do integrated fractional chief operating officers or presidents, right? So Perfect. never yeah. the CEO. Uh, we, don't, we don't want a title. We want to get stuff done. And so we help and we look at behaviors and systems and me and my partners, you know, depending on the industry, we go in and we go, okay, here's, you know, here's some key behaviors that we need to change. Here's a code of conduct and here's a system. So we follow Tim Ferriss's deal, direction, elimination, automation, liberation, right? So that is something that's stuck with me for a long time since, you know, four hour work week came out. And um, so this guy makes a lot of money on a monthly basis and younger person and huge legal bill, huge legal bill. And he's like, oh, when I said, the lawyers aren't doing their job, you're just paying over and over. And then he flips out on a manager for spending 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And in his opinion, he's like, I, we should not spend that much on a cell phone, on a mobile phone. I said, well, we need devices. We need to test devices. We need to do this. We need to do that. But yet we're spending, you know, in the amounts of 5,000 plus a month on legal fees that are not vetted or, or not valid. And you're like, okay, so you're wasting all of your neurons on really low impact. Because I always bring it back to risk management, right? So it's always risk is a personal factor. You know, Steve Jobs was a little bit riskier than others. You go, okay, what's accountants? I, I in the my, especially in the mining industry, there's a lot of CEOs who are risk adverse because they come from a very financial background, and they go, well, let's not take that risk. Let's not take that risk. Let's, you know, so it, you evaluate the risk according to the organization. You move forward, and you say, okay, here's your accountability. Here's my accountability. Here's how we lead the organization. But entrepreneurs tend to not want to let go of that minutiae that they think it's it's we bring it back to this get shit done kind of attitude of i can get it done i can get it done i can get it done i can be i can do i can throw more hours at it but it's just so not true so right. there's a there's a great book that i read in my early florida days uh by a guy named rob slee he's an investment banker and he wrote a book called um time really is money and mm. it's basically a, do you know it it's really, it's, it's actually about just increasing your hourly rate, even though we don't work per hour like an employee yeah. does, we still have a certain amount of money we generate on an hourly basis. So how do we incrementally raise that up? And you can't skip levels. He's very clear about, it. you have to do it incrementally. Um, but the idea should always be, how do I spend my time and how am I maximizing the amount of money I'm making per hour?
Yeah, that, absolutely. That's the, the format that I, I strongly believe in. The difference between active income and passive income, right? Right. So having a practice, a lot of people say, well, I have a business. Well, no, you have a practice, especially with these new kids that want, they call, I'm an, like you said before, it's a buzzword, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a CEO. Do you know what a chief stands for? You actually have to lead people. That's what a chief stands for, right? <laughs> Execution. You have to make sure that things get done. And officer, your name is attached to that legal document. So you are personally liable for the finance and the people of this organization. So think wisely before you choose to say, I'm the CEO of this company. It's, it's frivolous. It's people don't, uh, everybody wants to be a CEO. Right. Well, I shouldn't say that. Like what CEOs talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're a CEO. <laughs> yeah. Shoot myself. Cannibalizing well, no, my you know, own show. That the title doesn't mean anything. It's the output that matters. Right. I so, agreed, like, agreed. like everybody's got to relax on the titles and the, you know, it's like, and then even within an organization, there's a certain amount of like, it's helpful to have titles to kind of understand what, how people interact with each other. But at the end of the day, it's like a, it's like a football team or something. It's like, it has to do with how the team plays together. Correct. Not what role everybody has. Right. I like, agree. I agree. Uh, so with that said, Dan, so we've come full circle. I, I loved it. It went like, I was like, are, are we getting there? Oh, we're getting there. Are we getting there? We're getting there. Da, 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 so so, so listen to yourself. So what, how, how would you in like a sales pitch? Cause I know you hate sales. So give me an elevator pitch for finding your path. How do you find yourself? Can you synthesize it? What? So you're talking, you're, you're you've got kids, right? So yeah. manipulate that saying, okay, if, if this was the last thing you'd say to them, how would you say it? So I would, I would probably say that if you're going to find your path, by listening and how to listen to yourself how you listen to yourself is by how you feel not how you think because the thing that you're the thing that you feel is the thing you should think about maybe that's a good way to say it like like when you get that that pain like the, the that seems like every time this comes up i get this pain like physical pain like or, or emotional pain or how mm -hmm. it manifests in you that's your clue that's what you should be listening to. Because the other thing that we have a tendency to do that we, we don't listen to is we know what we should be doing 99%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. We know, we know exactly. With, the, with your example, with the $500 phone and the like doing the wrong things and all that sort of stuff, he knows that. He mm -hmm. does. Like, like, like you could point it out to him 20 times. He already knows it. You know, I know all the things I should be doing right now that I'm not doing. So the question is, Either I have to make it so those things don't matter anymore, kind of like the way that I yeah, adjusted yeah, yeah. my sales process, or, um, or, or, or just, or, or you just, you, you have to focus on on it because you know that now that's the thing I need to work on, you know, and like, yeah. and then I have to do that in a way that makes that pain go away because I, I don't think you can. Well, you could if you wanted to. I guess you could do that your whole life. Like we're all like we're both in our middle age time, right? So I remember a time when I was younger. I'll remember a time when I'm younger now, when I'm yeah. older. <laughs> when I'm older and I look back, I don't think I want to have 20 years of kind of like awfulness, right? Like I, so I want to have 20 years of thinking about how wonderful everything was and the people and the relationships I've had, because that stuff's important to me. Whatever's important to you is different, maybe, but that's important to me. 
And that's where I focus my attention on how to reconcile the stuff I should be, quote unquote, should be focusing on because I'm needing to adjust it for myself and how that aligns with where I'm going and what I need to do next. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I, I have a whole session on think, feel, do, right? So people, the behaviors are drawn, are, are often moved by emotions, not by thought. It's that think, feel, do. A lot of people act on feelings where she, you should be reflective of the feeling. That's right. So taking consideration your feelings and then act upon it. Right. So you have to bring it back, right? So think, feel, bring it back to think, and then go to do, right? That's, <laughs> that's, uh, exactly. that's, that's a lot of people go, oh, you, it's okay. And I tell this to my boy. My boy's got some anger issues. And he's super smart, and sometimes he doesn't know how to use his words, and he just he gets upset really quick. And I said, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to act in anger. So it's okay if you're feeling angry. I get it. I get it. You've got a raging lion. I had, I had anger issues. My father was an alcoholic. So I had anger issues. I took it out on other people. And I recognize the, the, the the bad stuff that I've done. And so not paying the price. So, but no, (laughs) so my boy is kind of feeling the same way. I'm not an alcoholic at all. Uh, But I, I get how he's feeling inside. So it's okay to, to understand your emotions, it's not okay to act out. And if right. same thing with you're sad or if you're scared, you know, Brene Brown's got this thing about courage and vulnerability and, mm-hmm. and it matches. Mm-hmm. So you, that's very important. Uh, yeah. Dan, what, uh, I, you know, leaders are learners and you are constantly learning. What's the thing that you are learning now? Because it, it also demonstrates an area that you want to improve on. So what, what are you looking at improving and what are you looking at learning right. so kind of now? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So something that I identified a couple of years back is something that was, um, again, entrepreneurs go into the world with a, I can do this attitude and they mm-hmm. don't really need a lot of information to like start, which is mm-hmm. great. That's one of our strengths. Um, and I'm no exception to that. I, I do that well. One of the things I identified for myself was I didn't have a formal finance background. Mm-hmm. I just sort of learned by doing. Mm-hmm. And I did okay learning mm-hmm. by doing. But, um, so I'm in the process of completing a master's in finance degree. I'm not to say that everyone, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a like, hey, you have to do academics. That's yeah, the only yeah, way of to course, learn. Of course, by no yeah. means, you learn however you learn best is perfect. That's the best way from the guy who got homeschooled. So right. you, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever works for you, that's the, that's what you do. Yeah. So, but I'm currently working on a master's in finance degree because I found that the formal finance education filled in a lot of gaps that I had mm-hmm. from like, cause I, I, you know, I, I, I was from my experience, I got so far and I, and it really, it was literally gaps because it's, I, I've taken classes where I'm like, Oh yeah, I know all that stuff. And I know all this stuff up here, but all that stuff in the middle, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was like, tell me that again, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so, so finance um, has been good for me. Um, and then also I really do love um, kind of the macroeconomic discussions mm. that have come out of the finance degree. And that's why now my next thing is a master's in economics. Um, because um, I think that, again, as entrepreneurs, we get very focused. And this mm. is one of the values that I provide to the companies that I invest in and that I work with. Um, 
because I take all this information and I synthesize it and I bring it to their specific mm-hmm. situation, right? So we don't pay attention as entrepreneurs, I think, as much as we could um, into kind of like the macro level stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like finance, the finance world is very good, like you were saying, at risk management, being aware of all that stuff. Entrepreneurs don't pay any attention to that nine times oh, out of hey, 10, hey. right? So um, I like to, I think that as, as a species of entrepreneurs, um, we can benefit from taking some of those more formal, rigorous kind of um, finance and macroeconomic perspectives. Methodologies, yeah. Into our into our business and into our decision making, you know. I agreed. Yeah, that's like I said before. It's for me. It's all risk based, right? So how what's what's it going to impact people, environment, assets, reputation? So those four categories and in a, a simple three by twelve, the three by four. You know, what's the likelihood? You know, and what's the probability and the impact? And you go, okay, yeah. Here's what we need. This we don't touch. Well, okay, if something happens here, we're really hooped. So how can we mitigate or prepare for that event, right? And we kind of analyze that and then build the behaviors around that. So good. Is there, um, what, one last question here, what is the resource of choice? What is the one thing? So I'm a, I grew up with Stephen Covey. So that, that the seven habits was for me, the biggest thing that I still apply to this day. Stoicism is a, is a key component of my personal philosophy, Mm-hmm. At um, seven habits is something that I've I've grown up with and and still to this day apply. What about you? Yeah, that's a great question, and I I, I know the answer right off the top of my head. Um, it's a book called uh, The Goal. Uh, the guy who wrote it's last name is Goldrath, and it's about the theory of constraints. I oh. alluded to the theory of constraints yeah. earlier in one of my answers to one of the questions. Um, the theory of constraints. The, gave birth to kind of lean manufacturing is mm-hmm. like a concept. But if you read the book and you really think about it from like a philosophical, personal perspective, the constraint in any process or system or in a process can be your thought process mm-hmm. or the constraint can be your relationship amongst a group of people. Like you can apply it very broadly and very philosophically. Um, and so that's my that's my go-to thing. I'm, I'm always aware of like, what's the constraint? What's oh, the wow. Constraint? I am so, going to, I've never read that book. So I will add that to my list. So thank you yeah, very much. It's an easy, it's an easy read too. Cause it's, it's, um, it's kind of a narrative, like parable type. Format. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, are you okay if people reach out? Of course. Yeah. Okay. How do I'll we get a hold of you? Walk and talk. Yeah. In Florida. <laughs> I would definitely fly to Florida. Uh, I actually, it's quite nice here, but uh, yeah, I definitely fly down to Florida and come and see and walk and talk. So 2021, one of our goals that we're, Dan, you and I. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so we'll put, uh, we'll put your contact details below LinkedIn, I'm assuming and stuff like that. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. And if you, um, if you reach out on LinkedIn, give me a few days. Sometimes I don't check LinkedIn as much as I should, but if you, from LinkedIn, you'll be able to find all my email and all that. So send me an email or whatever. So I'm, I'm easy to get all of it. Sounds good. Fabulous. Thank you very much for being on the show then. Much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Fabulous. Thank you very much. With that said, uh, my name is Martin Hunter. I am the host. Oh, God. I always forget my marketing team is going to kill me again. <laughs> Every episode. I have to say, please like, subscribe. Ah, you get it. Okay. With that said, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of the show, What CEOs Talk About, where we translate uh, strategy into frontline operations. Thank you very much for listening and watching. 
Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com. We'll be right back.